Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Amen. Thank you, guys. Praise God. Um, man, there is nothing better than him. I believe. Would you help my unbelief? Man, would we not just be singing these songs, but as I pray that, as I praise that, God, there is nothing better than you. Do I believe it? Do I believe it? Help the areas that I don't. Uh, love you guys. Tonight is going to be sweet. Tonight is our last uh, Renovate Live gathering for a couple of months. Like I said, though, we're going to hang out every week if you want to or hang out next weekend with us, uh, Memorial Day. <clears throat> but we, if you're new with us, we have been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 tonight. So if you've got your Bibles, we'll also put the passages up on the screen for you. But uh, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew's five, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And so tonight is the final section uh, of, of this sermon that, uh, that Jesus gives uh, to his followers. Um, that's an incredibly impactful, incredibly important thing. And so it's, it's a really hard passage also. Uh, it's, just, it's a difficult uh, sermon that Jesus preaches, but tonight specifically is gonna handle some really hard stuff. We uh, in the Fuquay family, uh, as me and my wife, Danielle, and we've got two boys, Charlie and Miles. Charlie's seven and a half, Miles is four and a half. <clears throat> we have a family motto in our family. And one of our family mottos, our, our main one is do hard things. And even from when, when we first got married, man, we decided we want to do difficult things in our marriage. Uh, we, want to, we want to take the difficult route. And so that's something that we've always said. That's something we'll counsel other couples with. Um, but this idea that, man, when we get to a fork in, in decisions as a, as a couple and there's an opportunity to do something that's kind of the easier way or something the harder way, we just said, let's just pick the harder way. And not because we're masochists and we want to like just do difficult things for the sake of doing difficult things, but when there's purposeful things, man, we feel like, and biblically we see that in doing hard things, God refines and sharpens and shapens, and we don't want to just go the easy route and do the comfortable thing. We want to put ourselves in a place, raise our kids in a way where it's like, man, let's do the hard thing. And that was all throughout even dating. And so even through dating, you know, we, we would have boundaries and curfews and things that were, were way more difficult. And we didn't always do those things well, but we really said, man, how can we even date in a way that, man, we're going to choose the more difficult path and not just the easy, comfortable, follow our feelings kind of path. Let's do it the hard way. Uh, I also did a lot of stupid things the hard way. For example, uh, when we were dating, and you guys can feel free to use this on, on your friends and loved ones, um, I... I struggle with pride. It's a thing. It's a genuine thing. I wrestle with it. I try to kill it all the time. It's a thing. It's part of my sin. Uh, I'm working on it, guys. But one of the things is I'm pretty prideful in my ability to drive backwards. Um, I am really good at driving backwards. Uh, I'm just good at it. I'm better than you are at it, and I'm just good at driving backwards. And so when we were dating and I first started just trying to like get Danielle to like me, I thought, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll drive backwards through, um, through fast food to go lines. And so that's what we would do. And so when we were getting to go, we, I would just pull in backwards. And it's hilarious, especially if you have somebody who like doesn't like to be in awkward positions because she's in the passenger seat. And if you go through like a drive-through backwards, she has to do all the talking because the window opens and here, and it's, and she's awkward and she's like apologizing for me. And the other dynamic that's really fun is cars pulling behind you, right? 
And so you're sitting in the car facing the wrong way because you're backing through. And it's funny because you'll watch, because they're right there. Like their windshield and your windshield are right there. And they panic because they think they're doing something wrong. And so they pull and they're, wait, maybe I should be. And it's this really, and then you're just stuck staring at them. And if you're waiting a long time, you're just staring and it's awesome. Another, another, I'm gonna give you one more just so you know who's up here talking to you. So you think less of me and more of Jesus by the end of the night. Um, One time, this was back before I was married. I was single. I was playing ultimate Frisbee with some guys because that's what single Christian guys do. And uh, we were were sitting at the field after playing ultimate Frisbee one night. And uh, me and a buddy of mine were like, hey, we didn't have anything to do for the next few days or the next week. Um, And we were like, hey, let's go on a road trip. Like, let's just go. We weren't packed. We didn't have anything. Like we were just in our shorts. And we were like, what if we just got in the car and just went on an epic road trip just to make it awkward and difficult and don't even know where we're going. And we were like, yeah. So we started talking about it. And they were like, hey, let's go to Mount Rushmore. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. And so me and one of my buddies named Brian, we got in his truck and we were like, okay. So one night we just decided we're gonna drive to Mount Rushmore. And so for two days, we stopped in Colorado and visited some people and crashed at my aunt's house and this whole thing. But we just, we just started driving. We drove up through Colorado and through Wyoming. Uh, and we, you know, it took us about two days. We stopped at every border to pee at the border uh, just to get out and pee to like mark our territory so people know this was our land. And so every, every state border we crossed, that was a part of our ritual. And we just went up. And so we got... So Mount Rushmore is in the southwestern kind of side corner of, of South Dakota. And uh, so we, we got there. This was the second day of us traveling. And we stopped for lunch. And there's this little town right outside, like right around the corner, like a very touristy town. Um, and we were like, okay, let's grab lunch. And then we're like 10, 15 minutes. Mount Rushmore is just right around the corner. This is the last little tourist town before you're, you're there. <clears throat> and while we're eating lunch, we were like, you know, it'd be fun if we just drove home. And we started laughing. We're like, yeah, that'd be hilarious. Yeah, how stupid would that be? And so we ate and talked about other stuff. And we were like, yeah, man, that'd be funny. And then we ate our lunch, we paid our bill, and we got in the car and we drove straight home. So I have not been to Mount Rushmore. But one time, I wouldn't clap for that. Um, But one time, one time I was 10, 15 minutes away from Mount Rushmore. That is my story, is one time I drove for two days and got within 10 to 15 minutes of Mount Rushmore. Uh, And then we just drove home, just straight through Nebraska and Kansas and Oklahoma, obviously stopping on the borders to pee, and then got home. And we told all our friends, man, we almost made it to Mount Rushmore. Um, That's stupid, right? That's a stupid thing to do right? And that is, uh, again, I hope by the end of this night, less of me and more of Christ. Um, we don't do hard things just to, for, for stupidity, right? Just for a laugh or just because, oh man, that'd be weird if we did that one time. Um, but as followers of Christ, we do thoughtful, intentional, hard things. We're called to it. To be a follower of Christ, to say, man, I want to be a part of his kingdom, which is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about what it looks like to be a part of his kingdom is signing up to say, man, I'm going to follow this king and it is going to be difficult. And that's what, that's where he starts to land this plane. Um, The Sermon on the Mount, we talked about this, this whole year, this whole semester is this inaugural address of Jesus Christ. 
And it's Jesus standing before his people as, as the new and future king saying, here's what it looks like to be a part of my kingdom. Here's what citizenship looks like. Here's the ethics of what it looks like to be in this kingdom. Here's the way that you should see money in each other. And here's how you should act and obey. And this is what it looks like to not only be in my kingdom, but how to function while you're in there. And so here we have uh, the goal and the purpose and the pursuit of our lives in this sermon that he says, come and be a part of my kingdom. And this is how he lands his sermon. This is the final statements of Jesus Christ in his sermon. He starts in verse 13. I'm gonna read verse 13 and 14. And what it's gonna do to preview is it's gonna show you a reality. And Jesus is gonna paint for us a picture in these two verses of a reality attached to the kingdom. And then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna show you three the last three little sections of this sermon and tease them out um, because they're gonna be direct applications to that reality. They're gonna be direct cautions to that reality. And if you're in a renovate group, you guys will spend the next three weeks really zooming in on those three cautions and how they apply to you in some, in some really sweet ways. And so here's the reality that Christ paints for us as he wraps up his sermon. Chapter seven, verse 13, Jesus says this. Enter through the narrow gate, For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. I read the wrong version, didn't I? Did my version match that? My bad. That was uh, the NIV. Up there is the ESV. I'll, I'll stick to the same version. Same word of God though. It was actually all Greek. So I didn't want to read the Greek to you. So I just read an English version. Um, <clears throat> here's what he's saying, right? Here's what he's saying. Um, there is a sobering reality here. Right? There's a sobering reality in this passage that we are to enter from this narrow gate, that the gate is, is, is not wide and it is not easy. That is a gate that leads to destruction, but the gate to life, which is interchangeable throughout the New Testament for this idea of the kingdom, that that life, that kingdom that he calls us to be a part of is this narrow gate. That's a sobering reality. Um, let me give you a heads up. If you ever find yourself at a church or in a ministry or listening to a podcast, and you hear somebody preaching at you, something, if you hear somebody preaching at you, something to the extent of, man, everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome into God's kingdom. Then you applaud in your heart. That is true, and that is good, and that is the call of Jesus, that everyone is welcome. But if you sit under teaching that says, man, the ticket in is easy, and all you gotta do is say this prayer, or all you gotta do is just check a couple of boxes here, or all you gotta do is just believe this little piece of theology, just theologically believe. Do you believe that? Okay, cool, then you're good. If you hear that, run for the door, right? Or, or counsel or seek and say, I need, I need you to dig deeper. I need, you to, I need you to contrast that with the rest of scripture. The idea that Jesus sets his kingdom as he closes his sermon and says, hey, this is hard. To follow me, to be a part of my kingdom, is not an easy, fun thing, and it's an easy ticket that we just hand out to anyone, and this is difficult, and it's narrow, and fewer people will get into it than not enter into my kingdom. That should be sobering to us, and that's the reality that Christ shapes for us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And then what he does is he gives us three cautions of, hey, this is narrow, and here's three ways, man, that is easy to slide off that path that if you are trying to pursue, you're trying to walk through my gate, you're trying to come and follow me, here are three big pitfalls that you gotta watch out for. And so that's, uh, I, I wanna kind of unpack those for you. That's where we're going here with the rest of these. And the first is this, this is what he says. Um, oh, I, wanna, I wanna show you this uh, before I do that. This idea of difficult discipleship, uh, an old guy named 
um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this book, The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, and in it, he really unpacks uh, just what it looks like to pick up your cross and follow him. Uh, and he followed Christ in a, in a time uh, in, in World War II that it, it cost him his life um, and, and stood for Christ and picked up his life and, and, and picked up his cross and followed him. Um, but the reality is that it's difficult. And, and the reality, what I want you to see is that the free gift of God is not easy that it is a free gift that our God gets us that is wide and available to everyone. But one of the things we're gonna see tonight is that free gift of God is not an easy thing that we just take a pill or say a prayer or show up in our church attendance and say, okay, cool, I've checked this box. It is a difficult, difficult thing. And so here's some specific cautions that Jesus ends with and, and warns us about. The first is about our influences. Look what he says in verse 15 of chapter seven. He cautions his people. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Um, Warning from from Christ in the Sermon on the Mount is this. We have to be cautious of bad influences, right? We've got to be cautious of people who are speaking lies into our life. The idea of a prophet was somebody who was... um, who's not just telling you the future. It's somebody who is uh, sharing what is true and saying, hey, this is a prophetic gift and here's the word and here's what it means to follow and here's what the kingdom looks like. And so this idea, this warning that he gives us right off the bat is that we have to be cautious of these influences. And the reality of the idea of uh, false prophets and and people who are gonna speak lies into our life, that is the world we live in. Um, We live in a world uh, that tells us we are not enough without their product. That, that, will, that will look at you in your soul and say, you are not pretty enough or skinny enough or, or fun enough or rich enough or successful enough. You are not married enough. You are not gifted enough. We live in a world that will look at you and tell you things that aren't where you find your worth, aren't where you find your value, that will lie to you. We have a world of false prophets and Jesus knows that. And he says, guys, it is hard and it is narrow and watch out for that. Watch out for those influences. Watch out for the the people who speak lies into your life about who you are and how to follow and where you find satisfaction. But we live in a world that is polluted by that. Um, at, At Christ Chapel here on Sunday, we're going through this series on the parables in Matthew chapter 13. And this next Sunday, uh, we're gonna unpack the parable of the weeds and the wheat. And, and in that passage is this really sweet passage of um, and Jesus talking about wheat growing in fields, but that with this field of wheat is also simultaneously weeds that are hard to distinguish. And you can't pull out one without pulling out the other. And so there's this tension of how does the wheat grow and live among the weeds that are, are, are snuffing it out and how, how, how do we distinguish that and how does it grow and how do we do that? And, um, and, and that's the world we live in. Jesus knows that. He knows that we're surrounded by false prophets, by people who are gonna speak lies into our life, that people who are gonna tell you that your value and your worth is found somewhere other than where he, the author of value and worth, tells you it's found. 
Um, I think also we've got to be careful too because um, not just the enemies of our world and the lies that our world gives us, but we've got, we've got bad influences in our own life, right? I, we've got well-meaning friends and family members and loved ones, and many of them are well-meaning um, who, who might be speaking things into your life that aren't true, but sharing things and, and, and polluting that field for you to say, man, I don't know that that's really true. And you go to Thanksgiving with your aunt who is still so frustrated and disappointed that you're single and, and why are you not complete until you have that spouse or, or you hang out with that grandfather who, because you haven't accomplished this goal yet or, or those things that are very well-meaning. And so we have to be discerning of that. We have to be discerning. And even people who are well-intentioned and love us well, you gotta be discerning of spiritual leaders. Don't, don't believe what I say because I get to stand on a stage and have a degree and, and have a title. But there are people that are gonna be claiming to be authorities and they're gonna be held in even higher regard, the book of James says. Man, there's all kinds of things that man are gonna influence that Christ says, watch out. This is how he ends his sermon. Watch out, they're everywhere. Watch out. So how do we do that? How do we know? How do I know if, if these friends are speaking things that are toxic in my life? Or, or how do I know that like, man, this spiritual leader in my life is actually speaking truth into my life? Or how do I know that this, you know, sweet loved one who's really well-intentioned is actually speaking truth or actually maybe inadvertently speaking lies that, man, I got to stay away from. Uh, what's it say? Verse 16, by their fruit, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You will recognize them by their fruit. It ends with thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Look at their life. Look at their life. And that's how we determine it. A couple of ways. We say, man, um, there's some real obvious ways that we can see that. We can see in the world very obviously, okay, I don't think that path and that salesman is gonna lead me to life and life abundant in the kingdom that God has for me. Um, but I think there's real subtle ways too that we have to say, okay, what is the, the fruit of this? And the fruit of God's spirit is, man, is this loving? Does this produce love and joy? Does this produce peace? Does this produce goodness and, and faithfulness? Is there self-control in this counsel that I'm being given? It, what's the posture of this counsel? And being able to weigh that and say, man, is this true? Is this in line with who I see the spirit of God to be? Man, is this, is this coming from a hateful place or an angry place or a gossipy place or a negative place? Um, man, or is, or is this coming from, okay, there's, there's counsel here that maybe really does match the fruit of the spirit. Or does it match this, right? Is this in line with what this says? Not what I say, not what a podcast says, not what somebody in authority says or has influence says, but man, is this in line with not only the fruit of the spirit, but also the word of God that we say, man, this is our authority. This is what we stick to. And so when our God and our savior and our king says, man, watch out, the path is narrow. Watch out for this pitfall. Watch out for false prophets. Watch out for those influences. We hold this tight. We hold it tight and we say, man, we gotta be in here. And we surround ourselves with people that are like, man, would you speak truth that helps me combat the, the onslaught of lies that we are, we are buried with? Be cautious of that. Address it when you see it, correct it if you see it, or flee from it when you see it. The road is narrow. Second caution that, uh, that he gives in this uh, call to to the narrow, the narrow path is this. It's, it's be cautious of false confidence. <clears throat> Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23 are, um, I think, genuinely the scariest passages in all of scripture. Um, 
these passages since I was a kid are passages that um, are heavy and weighty and scary and the implications are real. Um, I, we're not gonna read them to scare you, but we're gonna read them because it's God's word and we're gonna listen really, really well and be really discerning. Here's what Christ says in this second caution. Verse 21, 22, and 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. I think that is one of the heaviest passages in all of the Bible. People go before this God and they say, it's me. Look at all I've done for you. And these aren't JV people. I mean, look at, look at all I've done for you. I've cast out demons and all these mighty works. And I mean, they were a part of some religious, religious stuff. I mean, hardcore stuff. So it wasn't just somebody who's trying to skate their way in. This is somebody who says, look at all I've done for you. And Jesus looks at them and says, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. This is a caution of our king. Man, this is a caution of our king to say, man, is there a false confidence in, in people? I want you to hear me say this. We can have confidence in our salvation. We can have a surety. We can be assured of our salvation. Uh, we see passages, um, Ephesians 1, 4, um, talks about that, that God chose us before the foundation of the world. How much freedom do you feel by a God who chose us before the foundation of the, of the earth? So that means he didn't wait to see if I was gonna have doubts or the lows of my life or the highs of my life. And so this caution is not a caution of I might lose my salvation and not be aware of it. We know we can be confident. John 10, he talks about nothing. No one can be snatched out of God's hand. Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We can have confidence in our salvation. But simultaneously, our God wants to get our attention. Because what this means is that there is a false confidence out there. And what this means is there are people out there who will go before many, many, I say to you, who will go before him and say, it's me. And he'll say, I don't know who you are. I would be a bad pastor if we didn't talk about that, if we didn't preach that if we avoided the hard and scary things that we say, Lord, would you reveal in me? God, would you give ears to hear of maybe somebody who comes and sits and is a part of it and has maybe prayed a prayer one time and has checked a box, but our God says, do we know him? Are you doing things for God or do you know him? And is he, does he know you? Not, not do you call yourself a Christian, um, I, I am a huge Mavs fan. I'm a big Mavericks fan. I know all about them. I'm excited about the playoffs, the whole deal. I know their stats. I know their names. Right? I know where they're from. If I walked onto the court, right, I buy the jerseys and have the merchandise. I have, I have sat in the arena and raised my hands in adoration of them. Right? I know them. I've been, I, I know them. But if I walked into practice, Security would escort me out and they would be like, we don't know you, but I know all about them and I do and I, and I worship and I raise my hands and I show up and I watch and I adore. And what do you mean? 
Man, as I, as I walk down the narrow gate, as you walk down the narrow gate, you get to Jesus who says, I know you. Not because of what you've done, but because you've said, Lord, my life is surrendered. Not just because of what you've said you believe. Even the demons believe. It talks about in Romans. And they're not getting in the narrow gate. Not just what I believe. Not just because I pray to prayer. Not just because I check boxes. Not just because I attend religious and sweet worshipful things. Not just because I like him or claim to know him. It's not what our God asks for. He says, I want all of you. I want surrender. So I get to say, Lord, have I laid my life down for you? Have I picked up my cross and followed you? Am I crucified with Christ? Am I now a living sacrifice? That's what he calls us to be a part of. This adoption that happens once and for all, whether I feel like it, sometimes I don't feel close to him, sometimes I can be secure in my salvation, but we're not gonna breeze past what is such a sobering passage to say, man, let's all stop for a second and be aware of this caution and take all of our intellectual knowledge about God and all of the ways that we enjoy him and affirm who he is and take all of that and set it aside and say, Lord, would I have ears to hear? Would I know you and would I be known by you? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it talks about this fact that it is by grace we are saved and not by works so that no one could boast. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. And it's the reality. It's this free gift that's available to everybody but it's not easy. And he says, come and follow me. And we say, okay, I want that. What do I need to do? And he says, lay down your life. Lay down your life and trust me. Trust me that I'm worth it. Surrender your life to me. He doesn't say church attendance or midweek young adult gatherings. He says, come and follow me. Be known by me. As Paul, the apostle Paul, when he describes his faith, in Galatians, he says, I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives within me. And the life which I now live, as Paul walking around, I live in faith in the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus is saying, come and be a part of my kingdom. I don't care how sinful you've been. I don't care how far you've wandered. I don't care how non-religious. I don't care how how bad it's gotten. I don't care how angry you are at me. I don't care. Come and follow me. Everyone is welcome because what, what purchases you into my kingdom, he says, is not your works, is not your good deeds, is not your track record. It is my grace. And so would you put your faith in my grace and surrender yourself to me? And that's what he says. And he says, then everyone is welcome. Come and follow. That's our God. That's what he invites us to do. And that's this caution that Jesus gives to say, hey, there are false prophets, but there is also false confidence where there were many who say, I never knew him. I just did a bunch of stuff. I didn't know him. Would we leave changed? No matter if you've known him since you were six, would we continue to say, Lord, search me, know me, draw me near to my father. We can have confidence in that. I want you to have confidence in that. I want you to not leave this room until you get there. If you want to spend 30 minutes afterwards just praying and being held and prayed for and walking through the beautiful confidence that we can have, then let's do that. I'm not, I have literally nothing else to do tonight. There will be people down front who'd love to pray with you and talk with you and encourage you and 
walk you through what that looks like or remind you of how beautiful that was that happened seven years ago before you wandered away from that. Don't leave this room unchanged. No matter where you are on that spectrum, do business with God. Matthew chapter seven, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was that fall. The last caution our king gives us before he ends his inaugural address is be cautious to listen and obey. And we not just hear his words, we not just sing his truth, we not just speak it into each other's lives and it go in one ear and out the other. Would we listen to what he has to say, who he is, who he calls us to be? Would we listen and then would we obey? Would we show him that these aren't just things that we're hearing and checking a box, that, but God, you shape who we are. Our life isn't our own. Remember, it's been surrendered. I'm crucified with Christ. My life isn't my own. Praise God for that. There's freedom in that. There's infinite grace that covers that. Everyone is welcome and everyone is level in that place and a seat at his table. And then he speaks and he gives us this unbelievable truth. And then he says, are you listening? Do you have ears to not just listen, but listen and apply it to your life? Or do you listen and you compartmentalize it to your faith? Or is it something that takes over all of how you see the world and how you treat other people and how you interact and how you do hard things for his kingdom and how you take chances and how you speak about others and how you look at other people and how you interact with other people? And does it shape everything about you? Do we listen to who he says we are and do we obey we don't like the man that just builds his house on the sand but if we do he says you're building it on rock and there's going to be trials it's going to be hard no matter what build it on the rock build your life build your worldview build your surrendered life on the rock of who he says you are and obey to that I would not be a good pastor if I told you it was easy I would not be true to God's word if I told you it would be easy It's hard, but it is absolutely worth it. It's worth it. It's what you were designed for. Everything else that you try to build your life on will fail you. It will leave you unsatisfied. It's difficult, but it is gloriously difficult and infinitely worth it. Love you. And you are loved by a God and a father who says, I desire to know you in deeper and deeper ways. And you say, but God, you don't know where I've been and you don't know what I've done. And you don't, he says, you are my daughter. You are my son. Come, come to this narrow gate because I have purchased this way. He's worth it. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. Um, Would we build our life, Father, on um, who you are? Would we be people who um, the foundation of our house and the, pillars of our house and our lives and the decisions we make. And God, would would those be things that are rooted in the kingdom that you've 
purchased for us. The kingdom that's available to everyone. Uh, To those who didn't grow up hearing about it, to those who got the script from vacation Bible school when they were a six-year-old. And everywhere in between, Father, you purchased the way for us to come and to know you. This free gift. Father, would we radically and deeply chase after that? Give us ears to hear the truth that we've talked about and studied in our groups and in this room for the last four months, the ethics of what it looks like to be in your kingdom, what it takes to be a citizen of your kingdom, how to love each other, how to interact with each other, and now how to be cautious moving forward. Protect us, Father. Protect us. Would we walk in confidence knowing that it's not based on us? But would we also walk cautiously knowing there are pitfalls all along the way? Would we hold those two things in beautiful tension and would that stir our hearts for worship? In the name of Jesus, amen. We hope today's message was impactful and God used it to be part of the transforming work he wants to do in your life. Look, our desire is that this isn't just a resource you would listen to, but that this is really a community you would belong to. If you have any further questions, you just want to talk or need prayer, reach out to us. Our contact info is on the website, renovateftw.org, or connect with us on our social media, at RenovateFTW, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.